You're listening to the Rochester Post podcast. My name is Matt Wyatt. If you didn't know already, the municipal election is coming up on Tuesday, November 7th, and now is the time to make a plan to vote. The City of Rochester provides a guide that includes information on how to register to vote, determine your voting ward, find polling locations, and see frequently asked questions. There are also links to sample ballots, absentee ballots, and much more. Visit rochesternh.gov vote. Today on the show, we're going to do something a little different. Over the past couple of weeks, we've had two candidate forums run by Rochester Listens and the Greater Rochester Chamber of Commerce. In this episode, I'm going to play you the audio from the City Council and Mayoral Candidates Forum that happened on October 31st. Stay tuned. All right, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Greater Rochester Chamber of Commerce City Council and Mayoral Candidates Forum. My name is TJ Jean from Portsmouth Regional Hospital, and I will serve as the moderator for this evening's forum. It's important to note it is not a debate, but rather a forum and an opportunity for candidates to express their views on how they would govern if they were elected in the upcoming municipal election. We would like to start this evening by thanking our Rochester Government Channel crew, Celeste Playa and Greg Shaw, for their great work, as always, making sure we can broadcast this on local television. It will also be replayed several times between now and the November election. Next, I'd like to thank BreezeLine and Comcast for their broadcasting support this evening. Also want to thank the Rochester Post, the Rochester Voice, Foster's Daily Democrat, and local media that are providing coverage of this evening's candidate forum. I'd also like to thank the City of Rochester and the City Manager for the use of the City Council Chambers this evening. We appreciate their support as always. A few upcoming events that I'd like to uh, promote for the Chamber of Commerce before we begin are the upcoming holiday tree lighting ceremony, which will take place at Central Square in downtown Rochester on Friday, December 1st. That'll take place between 5.30 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. at Central Square. Then on Sunday, December 3rd, is a Polar Express Christmas Parade. It'll begin at 3 p.m. at Spalding High School and travel through downtown Rochester, displaying floats, marching bands, and of course, a visit from Santa himself. For additional information on any of these events, you can visit the Chamber of Commerce website at www.rochesternh.org. All right, this is the format for this evening's forum. All of the candidates present will be provided two minutes for opening remarks. They will be speaking in reverse order of their ward, wards. So we'll start with Ward 6 and work all the way to Ward 1. Those in uncontested races will speak first. Those are the gentlemen that you see up on the dais in front of us. Uh, those in contested races will speak after a quick change. After we get through this first portion, we'll do a brief, brief break to reset the chamber, and then we'll do the uh, contested races. And then after that, um, we will turn to the mayoral debate later on this evening. Our official timekeeper this evening is Miss Lisa Stanley from Whitway Supply. Thank you for joining us this evening, Lisa. We appreciate it. When your time is up, you will see uh, your time on the monitors on either side of the chamber. When your time is up, we ask that you please immediately conclude your remark. Uh, if you do not, you will hear the magic bell, which is right in front of Lisa. Yes, and we will uh, move on to the next question but in your cases, it's just for your statements. 
All right. Now I would like to introduce those who are running for the city council here in the city of Rochester. We will start with Ward 6, seat A, Mr. Matthew Richardson. Good evening. Next we have Ward 3, seat B, David Herman. Ward 3, seat A, Brian Carillion. And Ward 2, seat A, Mr. Dan Fitzpatrick. And Ward 1, seat B, the incumbent, Tim Fonno. All right, so we will start with you, Mr. Richardson. Your two minutes for your opening remarks start now. So my name is Matthew Richardson. Uh, many of you know me, but a few of you don't. Um, I've lived here in Rochester most of my life. Uh, grew up over on the east side. Uh, I own a small business here in town. I actually rarely leave this city. <laughs> I like this city. We, um, I find that pretty much everything I need is here in this city. Uh, we have a great community, uh, great people, uh, real friendly, outgoing place where people talk to each other in the grocery stores and stuff like that. I currently sit on the city's planning board. Uh, I've been there for almost two years now. Um, enjoyed that a lot. There's been a lot of good changes, a lot of new projects coming up. Uh, the city's moving forward. Um, the revitalization of downtown is coming along. Uh, it's taking time, it's slow, uh, but it'll happen. The city didn't, uh, it didn't essentially die off and lose all of its businesses uh, overnight, which it slowly did. Our each, the mills went away, the storefronts closed up, the furniture stores, the hardware stores, everything. And that happened over a period of time. Uh, so it's gonna take us some time to get all of this back into place. Uh, a lot of time, a lot of patience, positive attitudes, uh, but we'll get there. Um, I think we get a good council and good people. I think we'll have, we'll get, we'll just, we'll get there. Positive attitudes, get positive results. Uh, so be positive. <laughs> and I'm awesome, thank you. All right, thank you so much, Mr. Richardson. All right, next we'll move to Ward 3CA, Mr. Brian Carillion. Good evening. Uh, my name is Brian Carolian. Uh, I, as said, I am um, uh, running unopposed for um, Ward 3, um, which from my recent study of the map is Oak Street Southwest. Um, I uh, spent a good time, uh, approximately almost 20 years in the, in the service, uh, United States Coast Guard. Uh, we've I had to retire um, from being injured, so I'm a disabled veteran, and I was uh, looking for something uh, to apply myself to, to serve again. And uh, when the opportunity um, arose, I, um, I, I answered um, the call, and I'm here to see if I can apply myself and um, do some good and help be uh, part of uh, some solutions and to learn. and. Um, yeah, so I don't really have a whole lot to say. I, I'm married. Uh, I live in Gonic. I've lived there for 13 years. I have three children that are growing. Uh, I will say about uh, our ward is it's rapidly growing. Um, we recently had two major developments um, finish, and um, so we got to see that process firsthand and a little bit of the side effects from that. I think we've uh, fostered a 
family of skunks under our deck porch for about a year now, happily, but um, you get to see things. Um, it's been interesting. We've been very happy living here. And like I said, I'm just looking <clears throat> for a way to serve again. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Crowley, and appreciate that. All right, next we'll turn to Ward 3CB, Mr. David Herman. Hi, I'm David Herman. I'm running for this seat because I think I can give back to the community for the many years they have been successfully supported by many good candidates before me. And when I was asked to run, I decided I, it was that time to give back. So I will do that. And I've been in 26 years in Rochester and Gonic. We've got a nice little, what I call a garden. Some people call it a farm, but we grow a lot of veggies. <clears throat> and I have watched our community grow and watched the effects of the buildings, what it has changed the nature of wildlife around us. So I think we have to take our planning process to take into consideration how people respond and how animals respond to us. And I think we need to take the time to consider what effects we have on our planning. So I think I support having strong public schools, schools that educate kids so they want to be in school. And they need to learn how to learn. And they have to learn to love learning. And that's the important part about education. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Herman. We appreciate that. Next, we'll move to Ward 2, seat A, Mr. Daniel Fitzpatrick. Thank you. Uh, I'm Dan Fitzpatrick. I'm running for the Ward 2A city council seat. I used to introduce myself as the retired city manager of Rochester, but I have a new title now, and that's side sidekick and husband to the 2023 Rochester Citizen of the Year, Jackie, Fitz, Jackie Fitzpatrick. I had to give her a shout out. Uh, I have 43 years of experience in local, in local government, generally regarded as an expert in most things uh, having to do with local government finance. Wh what do I stand for? I stand for responsive, efficient, and effective local government. I do b believe in a strong education system, a public one. I s and I support preschool. And I think that our times are changing and we have to change some of the practices and institutions that I grew up with in the 50s and the 60s, for, for instance, uh, with, the, with the workforce challenges that we are, that we are having, every level of, of government needs to be responsive to the business community's needs 
in re regards to uh, education for employees, housing for employees, and generally overall uh, atmosphere that uh, the businesses and our citizens will be living in. Local government is where the rubber meets the, uh, meets the road, as our moderator knows that personally. So that's my introduction. Thank you for your time and attention. Thank you, Mr. Fitzpatrick. Appreciate that. And next we will hear from Ward 1 CB incumbent counselor, Mr. Tim Fontenot. Thank you, TJ. Um, yeah, I want to thank the chamber and the other organizations that put on this forum. Um, hopefully, uh, I currently represent uh, this Ward 1 seat B uh, in the council, and I hope that you've had a chance over the past couple of years to, uh, to see uh, where I stand on, on many of the issues. Um, I grew up in East Rochester, went to the public schools, graduated from Spalding High School in 1974, coming up on our 50th reunion next year, if anybody's out there. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, I too am a supporter of, of public education. I've worked in downtown Rochester for the past 30 years for a local real estate company, um, and, and I enjoy giving back to the community. I've, I spent about 20 years on the planning board, um, served three terms over as a state rep over in Concord, and now I'm just, uh, just finishing up my first term on the city council. Um, you know, Rochester is a great city. I, I love Rochester. And, uh, and when I grew up, downtown Rochester was a thriving, busy community, and, and I look forward to us uh, recreating that. Uh, and it, it's exciting to be a part of that. So um, I thank you for your support. I thank the other candidates for, uh, for running as well, and uh, look forward to a, another good term here. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much, Councillor. We appreciate that. All right. Thank you, gentlemen, for your opening remarks. We will now take a brief pause as we reset the chamber for our contested races. We'll be back in about two minutes. Thank you. All right. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back. We have made the transition now to our contested races. I'd like to introduce to you the candidates seeking election to the Rochester City Council. And we will start with Ward 6, seat B. We have Mr. Kevin Sullivan. Ward 4, seat B, Mr. Keith Fitz. Ward 4, seat A, Mr. Chuck Grassi. Ward 1, seat A, Mr. Joshua Guptal. And Ward 6, seat B, we have Benjamin Pratt. Ward 4, seat B, Chuck Credo. Ward 4, seat A, David Walker. And Ward 1 could not attend this evening. All right. So now we will do two-minute opening remarks from the candidates. I'll start with Ward 6, seat B, Mr. Sullivan. You'll have two minutes. Once the two minutes are up, you will hear a chime on the, on the monitors, followed by a bell from Ms. Stanley from Whitway Supply. Thank you for joining us once again. We'll start with you, Mr. Sullivan. The floor is yours. Two minutes. Thank you very much. Hello, good evening. I'm Kevin Sullivan. I'm running for City Council Ward 6. I've been a Rochester resident with my wife for 18 years. I have two young kids, nine and 14, both in the Rochester school system. Spent my entire professional career as a civil servant, full-time for more than 20 years as a marine biologist with the Fish and Game Department, and part-time as a police officer. I've taken an active part in my community as a youth football and basketball coach, a former leader in scouts, and a member and current vice chair of Rochester's Conservation Commission. 
If elected, my first goal would be to make sure that all functions of Rochester government, including city council, are as open and transparent as possible in their decision-making and use of taxpayer money. Residents should be informed about items brought before the city council at regular meetings so they can be prepared for their part in the public discussion. I feel there's an opportunity to make things more transparent with activities in the non-public sessions and reduce the number of emergency meetings. Second, I'd like to work with the city council and mayor to build upon the recent business and job growth in Rochester, like that of Granite Ridge, in the next phases, which hopefully will be coming soon. But that will need to come along with widening or some form of traffic flow designed to accommodate the increased traffic. I also encourage, uh, am encouraged by the ongoing efforts to revitalize Rochester's downtown, uh, like the new building that's gonna have a mixed use of business and residential property. But I think the existing municipal parking downtown area is probably not sufficient in its current state to handle considerable growth downtown. Finally, as city councilor, I would like to work on what I see as two growing challenges in Rochester. One, affordable housing, and two, our homeless population. The most immediate need is to get plans in place to have the Tri-City Warming Shelter up and running, but that's a short-term Band-Aid on a long-term problem. The cost of housing in Rochester has risen, especially in the post-COVID era. Although there's been efforts in the past to get affordable housing in Rochester, they've not come to fruition. I think we should continue to look for the appropriate place to site those types of affordable housing in Rochester and make it happen. But I think at no time should taxpayer money subsidize that development. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Selvin. Next, we'll hear from Ward 6 Challenger, Mr. Benjamin Pratt. Hello there. My name is Benjamin Pratt. I'd like to make this city more accommodating for those with disabilities. And I'd like to make nature better for the wildlife. I will do whatever it takes to make those happen. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Pratt. We appreciate that. Thank you. Next, we'll hear from Ward 4 CB, Mr. Keith Fitz. Uh, good evening, everyone. Thank you to those who are attending here in person and those that are tuning in. I really appreciate that. Uh, and thank you to the chamber for organizing this. Uh, so I'm Keith Fitz. I have been on uh, the planning board for two years and the parking review group uh, since its inception. Uh, I've been living in Rochester for a few years now. Um, and the issues that I would focus on as city councilor would be ensuring that Rochester is livable for all, um, attracting businesses that pay living wages. Um, you know, I feel that anytime we, we give a tax break to a business that the residents are paying for that. So I'd like to... Uh, always keep that in mind. Um, also want to increase attractive housing, uh, meaning that you know it's not just about affordable housing, but what, what do people really want um, when it comes to coming to Rochester. Uh, and I believe that people should not be living at the park and ride in Ward 4 or living in the woods back there, so how can we uh, tackle that? Um, I also would like to keep, keep close eye on the tax rate, um, helping the middle class not being squeezed out you know, if people own their homes and they're still having to come up with $10,000 plus a year, I don't think that's, that's uh, appropriate uh, long-term. Um, and if there's uh, funds in the, the unassigned fund, which I believe is happening, um, the tax rate was too high, obviously, and, and we need to revisit that. Um, I also believe that the environment should be a part of really any decision that comes before the board. There's always some component um, whether it be protecting natural resources or how to make the city greener, right? Um, th th those should be at the forefront of all uh, decisions that, that come across. Um, so thank you, and I look forward to hearing from the other candidates tonight. Thank you, Mr. Fitz. Appreciate that. 
Next, we'll hear from Ward 4 CB Challenger, Mr. Chuck Credo. Thank you very much, TJ. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. My name is Chuck Credo. Uh, I was born right here at Frisbee Memorial Hospital back in 1997. I've been here almost all of my life. And I'm a graduate of Spalding High School, class of 96. Uh, go Red Raiders. I live right here in Walnut. I moved back to Rochester about two years ago. I'm not going to say my address because I do know it's Halloween. I don't want my house to get toilet papered or egg tonight. Um, you know, I, I've been living here a long time. I've seen a lot from this city. And uh, some of the things I've been asking myself is why do I want to run for city council? I want to run because I think that I can offer some strength-based positive solutions from people that really deserve some vision-focused uh, structure to where we move as a city. Um, a little bit about me, I spent uh, the last 22 years as a social worker after leaving high school. I went and I studied law enforcement. I studied uh, criminal justice and I became a social worker. I've been doing social work for 22 years now. I'm, I've spent 14 years investigating child abuse and working in some of the hardest cases that one can imagine. I then went and worked with our active service members for another eight years. And I moved back to Rochester about two years ago because I want to I ended up buying the house that my aunt lived in. And now that I'm a landlord, now that I'm back in the city, I want to give back to my community in the way that my community has given me so much. So I want to end just kind of with a vision of what you can expect from me. When I leave the city council, when I leave the city of Rochester, one thing I want to see from our city is I want to be able to walk on our streets and see the businesses flourishing. I want to be able to see the families downtown with happiness and joy in their eyes because they know that the city, which they are proud to live in, has come back and we have gotten what we deserve in Rochester. And that means sense of community and sense of belonging that we all deserve to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Credo. Next, we'll hear from Ward 4CA, <coughs> Chuck Grassi. Thank you, TJ. Um, I've been a lifelong resident of the city of Rochester. In fact, when I came home from the hospital, I came home to Maple Street, where I also attended first grade. Um, my wife and I have raised our family here, and we have a number of uh, our children are still here, and a number of grandchildren are still here in the community as well. I've been active with youth sports at Roger Allen. I've also been uh, active with the PTO at School Street School when we lived on Central Avenue. And um, I also have, have been doing a lot of other things with a number of groups in the community. When I was on the city council, one of the first things I did uh, when I was way back in the 19 late 70s, in fact, I introduced the elderly tax exemption because it was a concern about seniors being able to stay in their homes. At the same time as we were looking at that and problems with seniors staying in their homes, I worked with the Stryver County Homemakers, which became one of the largest homemaker organizations in the state of New Hampshire and was recognized nationally for its, for its innovative programs to keep people, who, uh, seniors and disabled in their homes and not having to go into institutions or nursing homes. I also, when we found a need that, that we had families that needed childcare, I helped start the Rochester Child Care Center, which is probably one of the most successful child care centers in the state as well. And my wife currently works there. But um, after that, I spent, I served on the council for a number of years, serving on the planning board uh, as well for 15 years. I was a state representative and currently am in my fourth term in the legislature back in, where I serve on the finance committee and, and also the joint rules committee. Uh, I see a lot of things that need to be done, and one of the things that really distressed me is when I saw the reason why people weren't running 
for city council or school board this year. And I think we need to work together. And one of the things that I see as a problem is, is that we don't really talk to each other. And I think that being in the legislature and being on the city council and working with members of the school board as well, we'll be able to bring a much stronger uh, team together to help us move the city of Rochester forward. And that's what I want to do. Thank you, Mr. Grassi. Next, we'll hear from Ward 4 CDA Challenger, Mr. David Walker. Good evening. My name is David Walker, and I'm running for City Council Ward 4. I live on Brock Street and married with four grown children and three grandchildren. I'm also a former mayor, former city councilor, current planning board member. I believe I have a good reputation for representing the people of Rochester. I have always done what is in the best interest of the citizens of Rochester. I try to always help everyone that calls me with, an, with any issue and not have an, any ulterior motives or political agendas. My only motives are what is best for the city, city and the citizens of Rochester, always. I believe Rochester is a great place to live and raise a family. The city is on the verge of tremendous growth in the downtown and on the ridge. The key to managing this growth is to work positively together with, on the city council to do what is best for the citizens. We need to continue properly funding public safety. I look forward to working with the police commission to encourage foot patrols in the downtown area to help citizens feel safe. We also must work with the state of New Hampshire and private partners to help the homeless find services that they need to find shelter and to better their lives. We need to continue the paving program, the sidewalk program to upgrade our aging infrastructure. We also need to work close with the school board to improve our children's education in the city. Economically, I think the city is in a great position. Between the expansion on the ridge and Sig Sauer, the city is experiencing good commercial growth. We need to continue this growth by working with the planning board and the planning department to promote business-friendly regulations. I also want to continue to enhance the Rochester Riverwalk project to attract people to the downtown area to make the city a destination again. Along with working with Rama on the better utilized Rochester fairgrounds, that's my time. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Walker. Appreciate it. And finally, we will hear from Ward 1CA, Mr. Joshua Gupto. Thank you. I'm Joshua Gupto, City Council candidate, Ward 1CA. Some of you I've been able to meet in the city as a business owner here. I've met some of you through my children who are in the school system here. And some of you I've met through coaching your children, be it in basketball, baseball, or now soccer this year. I got roped into that as well. So I'm a three-sport coach. Uh, the one thing I haven't been known to my friends and family here in the city is a local politician. This is my first foray into that. And a lot of them have asked me why. Why now? Why is now the time to get involved in something like this? Uh, and the answer that I've given consistently is very simple. Change is coming to Rochester. Some of that change is already here and there's more on the way. Me as a resident of Rochester, I'm not looking to stop that change. I'm not even particularly looking to slow that change. What I am trying to do is have a voice in controlling the narrative of that change. As a parent, I want to be somebody who's in a position to make decisions for my children in the school system. As a business owner, same thing. I'd like to be able to be in a position to dictate some of what's going on in the revitalization and rebirth of some of the businesses, not only in my ward, ward one, but throughout the city. I think city council is the best way for me to do that. I've talked to some of the candidates and the conversations have been great as far as the ability to all want nonpartisan teamwork. Like any team, I look at these as future teammates. We have current teammates. 
as a team, the goal is to make the city better, and I'd like to have a voice in that. I am not someone who is an agenda-driven politician. I'm representative of my ward. I have feelings as a resident. I have my stances as a resident. I have my ideas as a resident. As a city council person, what I look for is giving forums and giving opportunities for people in my ward to speak to me, let me know what they'd like to do, and then represent that in the council. I think that's the way that it's designed, that's the way that the city grows. I'm excited to be in Ward 1, I'm excited to exact some of that change, and I'm excited to work with city council these next couple of years going forward. I really hope to speak to some of you. I really have been excited about the conversations I've already had with folks. I hope we continue to build. I hear a lot of talk about the city. We are the city, and it's time that that started to be the main focus, and we take it back and make the decisions for the city. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Mr. Gupta. Appreciate that. All right. That concludes the opening remark portion of the forum. We will now go into the questions. And what we'll do is we'll ask a question. We'll let everybody answer each question. There's a small amount of us here so that everyone has a crack at those questions, which will be great. We'll start <coughs> with Ward 1 and we'll work out. So I'll start with you, Mr. Guptel. The first question is, what do you believe is the biggest challenge facing the city of Rochester and what will you do to help solve it? Thank you, TJ. I think that our biggest problem is the miscommunication and misinformation, not necessarily at the city level, because like I just mentioned, I think we all are the city, and you hear kind of about that as an entity, when in reality it's us. I think that social media, unfortunately, really hurts the ability of a city to be cohesive. You can go on and say something, it doesn't necessarily need to be fact-based, it can be wild and crazy, and there'll always be a group who believes in that and supports that. Information isn't necessarily sought out. I think that we have someone in position in the city who does a great job of putting that information out there, we don't always see it. That can lead to discussions that really aren't fact-based. When you have those discussions, all you're doing is wasting time, getting away from the results that can really be made because we're kind of talking in circles about non-factors and non-starters. So I would like to see, in my ward, different forms and abilities and ways for people to be in touch with me and to have that voice and actually know what's going on coming from me and them coming to me with their information, their thoughts as well. Thank you, Mr. Guptel. Sure. Next, we will move to Mr. Walker. Thank you, TJ. I think the, uh, one of the greater challenges in the city is the, uh, the biggest elephant in the room, which is the homeless and the uh, drug epidemic we have in the city that we need to work very hard with state and local partners to try to clean up and get people the uh, services they need to straighten out their lives. Another uh, issue I see is uh, the traffic issues like on Route 11. Uh, managing the growth that we have in downtown so we don't have uh, un unexplained sprawl all over the place. So those are the main issues that I think are challenging the city council. Perfect. Thank you, Mr. Walker. Mr. Grassi. Yeah, you, the question was, what was the number one issue for the city of Rochester? And I think that I, th I think that the number one issue we face, regardless of everything else that we're doing and we have to face in the community, is, is homelessness and housing. One of the things I look at is that you raise a family in the city of Rochester, and what you expect is that your children are going to be able to stay in the neighborhoods where they, you know, in the same community that they grew up in, and they're going to be able to raise their children. It, you know, I've been fortunate that both my daughter and my son have lived here in the community and raised their children here in Rochester, so I see them all the time, and as a grandparent, that's great. But the thing is, is that it's becoming more and more impossible for that to occur. And we need to deal with affordable housing, and it needs to be not workforce affordable housing, but it needs to be a housing that the workforce can afford. 
and that's becoming a problem. And then we certainly have the homeless issue. And I've been working digitally on this with the, with the county and also a group, the Stratford County Homeless Coalition, or Housing Coalition, to try to find ways to meet the needs of those people on the street. We have over 1,200 people right now that are living unhoused in the, in the Tri-City area. Thank you, Mr. Grassi. And so here from Mr. Credo. Thank you. <clears throat> I would have to concur. I think affordable housing is our number one issue right now. Um, the main reason we can point to this is if we look at the statistical data and we go back just a few years ago, in the last two years alone, the average two-bedroom in Rochester has raised over $200. So let's take that and take a step back and look at that for a second. If we look from Portsmouth to Rochester and we look at what the national average is for a two-bedroom, here in Rochester we're paying 96% more than any other place in the country. That's just looking at three cities alone. When you add to it the fact that we have only a 1% unoccupant rate for a two-bedroom apartment in Rochester, what we're seeing is, is we're seeing massive openings or desire for uh, residential areas and nobody can afford it. Nobody can get in there. So we need to build that. The other part of that is, is if you look at the poverty level in Rochester, we're at 8.1, excuse me, 9.1% as of two years ago statistically. Dover, over one and a half percent less. Thank you, Mr. Credo. Mr. Fitz. I think we can all agree that that housing is probably the, the, the largest issue that the city faces right now, but um, I look at it a little bit differently. Um, I, like I mentioned, I'm passionate about the tax rate. And so the same house in Rochester, Dover, and Portsmouth will cost you the most in Rochester in tax. Um, so why is that? Are we getting that much more for our tax dollar? Um, so I think that the solution to that is to review spending heavily and, and try to make tax cuts um, in order to kind of give relief to the middle class that has a dream of owning a house um, in the Rochester city. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Fitz. Mr. Pratt. What was the question again? The question is, what do you feel is the most challenging, impressing issue facing the city of Rochester, and what will you do to help fix it? For me, it's those with disabilities don't have jobs. I'd like to help with that. For people like me, we deserve a job. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Pratt. Appreciate that. Mr. Sullivan. Thank you. Um, being at the end of the line here, it's going to be a lot of broken record, but I agree. Um, I mean, Mr. Pratt's correct in what he says, but I uh, don't have the stats that Mr. Croto has, but I agree heavily that our biggest problem right now is going to be affordable housing, um, and that is linked with the homeless population we have and business growth. I think that if I was trying to buy a house here, uh, like I did back in 2005 in the situation I was in, I couldn't do it. This could, I could not get it in this town. Um, I think that we need to try to find a place to get more affordable housing in the city. And with the increased business, we're gonna draw in more people, more businesses, and that's just gonna exacerbate the need to get that housing. But at the same time, you're pricing out people who can barely afford housing. So we need to get rid of the homeless problem we have now, try to get them back on their feet, get them connected with the resources to get them back in homes that they can afford. Thank you very much, Mr. Sullivan. Appreciate that. All right, so let's stay on the housing topic as that seems to be very prevalent right now. How do you, and use specifics in your answers if you could please, how do you balance the growth of our community and the housing needs of our community with the 
drain that that will put on city services? How do you balance housing growth and maintaining affordable city services? We'll start with you, Mr. Sullivan. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> so I think, I think my first thought on this, when we, uh, as my role in the Conservation Commission, we reviewed the Catholic Charities proposed affordable housing development. I know a concern that came up at that and that I heard was how that kind of housing or any housing growth, affordable or not, can absorb increased um, spots at the school, things like that. And I think what the city's done um, recently with this new school, I think that's a fantastic opportunity. They have extra spaces there. They're gonna consolidate two older buildings into one. Um, in terms of the police department, I know that they've been doing better recently keeping up to staff, so I think that's a much better job. Um, I think the city can accommodate it. I think with increased business, that will help with the tax base in our town, and then you know we can, we can have more homes. I think Rochester is gonna grow. You know, There's a lot of uh, fighting against downtown, things like that, but it's gonna happen. I think we need to prepare ourselves for it. Thank you. Mr. Pratt, question is, how do we balance housing growth with the need for additional city services? I really don't know what to say. I haven't considered this one of my main priorities. No problem, thank you. Mr. Credo. Yeah, thank you. So anytime, anytime that we have population growth, we have to ask ourselves a little bit about how are those city services going and growing with population growth? My senior thesis in college was literally uh, legalized gambling casinos and the impact on property crime, right? And what we learned was it's not about the legalized gambling casinos, it's about population growth and its infrastructure on any given area. And the same thing goes with anywhere with population growth. While our city is growing, we're currently tied to 33,000 with Dover. There's only 300 population difference between Dover and ourselves right now. As we're growing, we need to be able to focus some of that money in each of the divisions, whether it be law enforcement, whether it be our infrastructure, roads, everything has to grow according to the population growth. Currently, our police department has between four and six officers on duty at any given time, and that may have to increase based on the number of calls that we have and based on our population as well as one example. Thank you, Mr. Credo, appreciate that. Mr. Pitts. I think that at the basis of this discussion uh, is, is money, right? If we had unlimited money, we wouldn't really have to worry about resources too much. Um, when being on the planning board, right, a builder comes along, wants to smack all these houses into a small lot, uh, I don't even know how, but they want to do that. Um, so they're doing that to make a profit. Nobody builds a house, nobody builds an apartment out of the goodness of their heart. So if we're looking to uh, add population by, by creating these units, then I feel that we need to come, you know, some sort of tax or uh, these, these builders need to chip in uh, the services that, that they will impact. Um, you know, it's nice to be a property management company raking in the dough, but where does that leave the city? Thank you, Mr. Pitts. Mr. Walker. Yes, I think the, uh, financially the city's in a pretty good spot as far as where the tax rate is and where the finances are straight. So we need to really diversify our housing stock. I mean, you need some market rate apartments and houses. You need some uh, workforce housing, maybe even thrown in some uh, micro housing to actually be starter homes. So. We also need to be wary of where we put these projects, and I think you try to put major developments near where the uh, city infrastructure already is, water and sewer, so we don't have 
impact on the city services in a negative way. So that's the balance you really do need to take. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mr. Grassi. I think when the city of Rochester takes a look at growth and, and how we manage that growth, and particularly with the delivery of services, Rochester has always been a community that has delivered services equal to or even in excess of what we've had from the, some of the surrounding communities and communities our size with much less staff. When you take a look at communities that are in the $30,000 range, or 30,000 population range, we have far fewer employees than most communities have. Our police department has always been 20% below where we should be. Um, what we have to take a look at, and, and you know, a vibrant community is, is built on young families coming into our community, so we need to attract them, which means we need to have good jobs. By bringing in good jobs and more businesses and industries into our community, that will help us increase our tax base without impacting the taxpayer, the property taxes, the homeowners. And that's what we've got to make that, that connection there. One of the things I can do is in, my legislative, in my legislative position and in my council position is connect the two to bring funding in to help bring businesses into the city of Rochester and help with housing costs as well. Thank you, Mr. Grassi. Mm -hmm. Mr. Guptill. Thank you. I think as far as the question of balance, it needs to be done very simply. It needs to be done carefully. My big concern, as far as this growth, is there's still this undercurrent, there's still this tone some places of, well, this used to be a certain type of city, we don't want to see it change, and this used to be a certain way, we don't want to see it change. Unfortunately, that change is going to happen just because of the world that we live in. My concern is that if we see that growth, and as a city we don't want to develop our services and expand our services to meet that growth, that growth is going to quickly shift to the next place that people feel safe, feel comfortable, and want to live, leaving us again with this void, but now we've expended all this money into something where there's really no way to make it back. So I would say the balance needs to be done carefully, it needs to be done consistently with some thought towards what we're going to be as opposed to maybe what we were, even what we are right now as a city. Thank you, Mr. Guptill, appreciate that. All right, let's pivot a little bit to downtown. And I think it's no surprise to anyone, we have major construction going on downtown, including some new housing units that have uh, cropped up both at the scenic Salinger building and the new Hoffman building. And I have to say, I remember the day that I was sitting in your seats and we were debating downtown parking. I said, it's gonna be a great day when we actually have a parking issue downtown. Well, here we are, we have a parking issue downtown with the new residential development that's going on. So my question to you is this, um, with all that housing development, what would you do to accommodate parking so it doesn't negatively and adversely impact the downtown businesses. And we'll start with Mr. Guptill. Thank you. Well, I think that the downtown is only as big as it is. I think it's going to continue to grow to some degree, but realistically, we need to look to be creative. We have municipal lots right now that I think are underutilized, primarily because they're in spots that right now there isn't a lot of business. Mm -hmm. Rochester is different from Portsmouth and Dover, which usually the two head-to-head -head comparisons in that they're, they're more destination downtowns. I think if someone's coming to Rochester right now, it might be to go to a place like Jetpack, go there and leave. As we grow, I think what we're gonna see is more what we see like in Dover and Portsmouth where people say, we're going there just to be there. We're going to go walk around downtown Rochester. It's a concept that sounded foreign a few years ago, but it's the reality of the next few years. I think we use those municipal lots that are there and expand out if we can. And in some cases, I think it's gonna be physically up. And I know that's something that people have been concerned about as far as the skyline and that type of thing. But as we grow, there really is no other place that I can see to put those places. So I think in downtown, we're going to have to be creative with the spaces that we do have and make better use of them as we grow. Thank you. Mr. Walker. Yes, um, a recent study that was done before I left was that the uh, parking situation in, in the downtown area 
we have enough parking spaces to support the new apartments that are going in. They're just spread out. So one of the issues that I think we need to address is that I think we have to monetize some of the parking spots with, with meters so you, someone's not parked there for four hours out of the day and the businesses lose out on customers because the parking spaces are limited. So I really think we need to look at monetizing the, uh, the parking spaces in the downtown. I know there's another group studying that and I look forward to hearing what they have uh, to say about it, but I really think that's probably the way we should go. Thank you, Mr. Walker. Mr. Grassi. Now, one of the things we look at as far as parking in, in the downtown area in specific, we have a large elderly population and a disabled population as well here in the city of Rochester. And one of the things that, that is a problem is getting parking spaces close by. One of the things you can monitorize the parking, have me put up meters or whatever. Um, you know, that's difficult for a lot of people as well. I think we, first of all, I think we need to take a look at, um, we look at a long-term study for a, a parking garage sometime in the future. Secondly, we need to take a look at things that how we can make more spaces available in the downtown area for those seniors or handicapped people. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, people that have disabilities being able to get to these places. I mean, my wife and I came downtown one day on a Sunday afternoon. The Union Street Park, and this is before they started the construction, was full. We went into a restaurant. It was empty. Where are those cars going? Where, are those, where were those people going? They weren't at the Opera House at that time. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a tough situation that we have to take a look at, and it's something that's going to take a lot of look and planning that's involved, and this is one thing that I can bring to the table. Thank you, Mr. Grassi. Mr. Credo. Yeah, so this is something I was hoping we are going to talk about, because in 2019, there was an evaluation and study done by Rochester in which we brought in, and we looked, we looked at this, and I'm just going to quote a few things. Um, it is, we have a supply issue in Rochester, um, and a man, excuse me, we do not have a supply issue in Rochester, we have a management issue. We have uh, inaccurate signage and parking spots that are not managed well. And what we're looking at when we talk about this is people are used to going right in front of a business in downtown and parking right in front of that spot. And what happens is with population growth, you're going to see this, we need to change the way that parking looks. So what that's going to mean is um, it's going to mean changing that as new properties develop and as more people come into Rochester. I believe that there was most recently, just this year in March, another study that was done. I'm looking forward to hearing where that study sits. Um, in terms of monetization, I have no objection to that. Um, I also think, like what was said before, we're going to need to look at getting people not parking in the front as much as they are so that people can park in front of those businesses. Thank you, Mr. Credo. Mr. Fitz. Yeah, so I, I will not speak for the parking review group, so I don't want to make, make any, uh, you know, assumptions there. Um, we, you know, we reviewed the parking. Um, I think everybody's been spot on. We do have plenty of parking. It's just the management. And I believe that the, the biggest takeaways are like education, letting people know where they can park um, just a few steps from a business um, to, to get away from that front row parking. Um, and I do believe that we need to monetize those prime spots um, so that way there's turnover um, and, and we're trying to get that going right uh, throughout the city. But in regard to the residential uh, problem that was asked uh, in specific was uh, that we need to really create a, a permit system and police it, right? Um, if we're going to allow residents to park overnight in certain lots that are otherwise empty because the businesses are closed, then we really need to enforce that in the morning um, so that way the parking's then available for the businesses again. Thank you. Mr. Pratt. I agree with Chuck. 
Which Chuck? No, I'm just kidding. We get, uh, both of us. That is, you get two Chucks here, so, and they both gave great answers, so I think that's perfect. That is perfect. Thank you, Mr. Pratt. Appreciate it. Mr. Right. Sullivan. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I've heard that multiple times now that the previous study said that we have sufficient parking, and that's true. But we have sufficient parking for Rochester 2019 or Rochester 2023. What I'm more excited about is growth. I want to see Rochester bring in business, bring in more housing, you know, not on large-scale developments, but mixed-use business and, and residential properties like they did in downtown. I don't think that our parking, as it is now, can handle that growth. So I think um, monetized is a good idea. It should be a mix of monetized and free parking, though. I don't think it should all be monetized. I think there's lots near downtown that are probably potential good places to put parking garages, and the city of Rochester should work on trying to see if we can negotiate that deal. Um, I also like the permit for the residential housing that is gonna come to downtown. You know, they should have a place to park. It's not gonna be able to handle much more than there is now. So they need to be permitted and it should be enforced. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. All right, next question will be, how would you involve businesses in the decision-making process here in the city of Rochester? And we'll start with Mr. Walker. How would you? How would you involve businesses in the decision-making process in the city? So during either city council deliberations or major issues that come before the city council, how would you involve businesses or business leaders in helping to inform your decision as a councilor? Well, a lot of decisions the city council makes, the uh, Chamber of Commerce and Main Street weigh in on that with letters to each councilor. So they already do to per se. But I do think on major issues, like say a parking garage or something like that, they need to have input. So there has to be a public input session with the businesses in mind to come in and tell the council what they feel, how they feel and what they, they think should happen. So I really think you need to be open, honest and transparent with major decisions that involve the businesses in, the, in this city. So that's the way I'd handle that. Perfect, thank you. Mr. Guptill. Thanks. I think with anything that we're talking about as far as downtown, which is not my ward, but I had a business down there and understand the situation with that Union Street parking lot that on certain nights it can get very full. I understand that on Main Street sometimes there are businesses that aren't open you know, at particular times and it can make the parking and also the showing up down there difficult. I think the biggest thing as far as involving business owners as someone who had a business downtown, uh, there were opportunities. There were plenty of opportunities to go and to speak and to voice my opinion. As a business owner, I think as citizens, we have that ability. Uh, could the city do a better job of it? Honestly, I'm not downtown right now, so I don't have a great answer for that. Where I am in Ward 1, I'd like to see business out there expand, and I'd love to hear from those business owners, current and future, as far as what could happen there. As far as downtown, it is a kind of a different animal because you're dealing with a very limited space. Uh, those owners, I'm sure, all have very different things to say. I think there should be a forum for that, but ultimately it becomes the decision of the entire city and specifically that ward to make those decisions with that input. Mr. Grassi. Yes, thank you, TJ. I think this is a, a interesting question because I was on the council. I've been on the council now for over 10 years. When I was on the council, I was chairman of the community development committee, community that developed, works with people downtown. Um, I actually took the committee out of the council chambers and we went downtown. We walked Water Street at one of our meetings. We met in a restaurant downtown. We met in a furniture store downtown. We met at a comic book store downtown. We actually held our meetings in businesses in the downtown area. So, and we asked those people who ran those businesses to give us input 
beginning of each meeting was, here's your opportunity to talk to us as a committee. I think getting us out of City Hall and getting us into the community is one of the important ways that we can have some great interaction and discussion. I mean, this was 15 years ago that I had my committee out and we were walking Water Street, and I understand now the city's finally gonna do something about it. But we talked about, we walked through there and we said, what can we do to make this better, to make our city better? And one of the ways is getting out of here, this, you know, out of this building and into the streets to talk to people. And I think that's important and that's something I would promote as well if I get back onto the council. Thank you, Mr. Grassi. Mr. Credo. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, a lot of people have talked about transparency, and I think when you're a business owner, like so many of my friends that are here in Rochester and that own businesses in the downtown, um, it is so important that there be an avenue for an open and honest conversation and dialect to be happening. One thing I've heard people talk about is I've heard people talk about these open forums. Everybody can come together and, and hash out ideas and, 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 and have this open communication. I've never been to one of these, and I've heard that they exist. And it's not that they haven't happened, it's just that I've never been to one. And as somebody that really values a good debate between two sides, because it helps empower me to use evidence-based practice to making that next best decision, I want to hear everything that people have to say, and that includes businesses. If we had businesses talking about the next uh, parking garage, or whether or not the fairgrounds need to be made into Prescott Park 2.0, and how that would bring in all the economic stimuli into this area, we would have a much better and informed decision around all those decisions that we make, and I'd be open for open forums for that. Thank you, Mr. Credo. Thank you. Mr. Fitz. We had great success with the parking review group of bringing in businesses in the downtown to get their opinion on parking. Um, so I would love to continue that. And I would, I would lean on uh, economic uh, development director Scala, that was a mouthful, uh, to, to help us do that, right? Broker those conversations because he's familiar with people in the city and, and the businesses. Um, so when a decision is coming up, you know, I think that would be the best way to notify them potentially that we're talking about, um, something that might impact them, getting in touch with them, hosting a, a meeting. Um, I think those are great ways to connect. Thank you, Mr. Fitz. Mr. Pratt. Yes. So question for you is, how would you involve businesses in the decision-making process in the city? And I guess maybe I would ask you it this way. You've mentioned in your opening remarks that you want to be an advocate for those with disabilities. Is there any opportunity um, that the city could do to, to help engage the business community for I disabilities? I would invite Todd and Mark. Will say that again? I would invite Todd and Mark to a forum. Perfect. Two good friends of mine. Excellent. Thank you. See what they have to say. And get their feedback. Yes. Perfect. Thank you, Mr. Pratt. Appreciate that. Mr. Sullivan. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of businesses in my ward, Ward 6, um, downtown, this side. Um, you know, I think that as a member of a lesser known commission for the city, the Conservation Commission, we do also um, value public input, but probably like a lot of commissions and boards, we get very little of it. And I think that comes down to the engagement of uh, boards, city councilors to go out into their ward, try to get that information and figure out what they need and encourage them to come uh, give their opinion in the public discussion because that's important. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think that 
it's the kind of thing that I don't have a lot of experience with. I think the turnover in the city council is also concerning to me that there's going to be so much turnover in this time and you kind of need that continuity running through. You uh, develop those relationships with the businesses and you got to keep them going. So I'd like to see, you know, a, a little more continuity in the city council um, and we can keep that with our community. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. I'm going to kind of dovetail off of some comments that Mr. Credo made for my next question. And you, you brought up the Rochester Fair and, you know, engaging there. What do you see the role of the Rochester City Council as it relates to the use of the fairgrounds and really the engagement of the Rochester Agricultural and Mechanical Association, also known as the Rochester Fair Association, in getting more use of that property? Oh, this cut. is my question. Yeah, Great. Well, I love right, this question. Send send your right to you. Well, I've already had two meetings with Rochester uh, Agricultural Association, and I am looking forward to the third one. Uh, I would like to thank two of the sitting city councilmen for helping organize that and inviting me to that meeting. Uh, I have a really clear vision, and that vision is to create a Prescott Park 2.0 or Meadowbrook 5.0, where we have dog parks, we have food truck get-togethers, we have concerts, we have a community that is vibrant and thriving, and that they can actually go there. We will see each other in that community, where we have agriculture, we have uh, co-op, community co-op, we have botanical gardens, we have everything that makes a city get together in one spot and there is no other spot in all of Rochester that can do that. I'm very passionate, if you can't tell, about this area. Um, I've already started working on this because I do believe that this is the one thing that will bring business back to Rochester. I believe it's going to bring people here, and there is no reason that we can't have something that's not only beautiful, but brings everybody from every other city to Rochester for a change. And now you know why I asked you that question first. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Sullivan. I like his idea. Um, yes. so, that, so yeah, that's not in my ward. Um, I, I will say though, for the fairgrounds, I see that as a valuable piece of property that the city could utilize or the owners. I, I think that we should try to negotiate getting that property or it should be used for something better than what it is now. Um, it's vacant for most of the year. Uh, there's a lot of potential. What, what Mr. Credo just said sounds fantastic to me. I've heard it before. Right? I also think it's a place that you could try to incorporate uh, affordable housing if you get the property. But you know, I'm open to it. I'd love to talk with the city council about what's best for that piece of property. I don't think the way it's being used now is the best way to use it. Got it. Thank you. Mr. Fitz. Yeah, a lot of great ideas uh, were just shared for that property. Um, I think that the, the city council can certainly you know, have some purview into that. Um, but I wonder what you know the the alternatives are and, and what are some downsides to that? You know, is it the best place to spend city funds um, to create a recreational area? I don't know. Um, I guess I'd have to look into that more and really understand, you know, is that the, the most pressing need of our, of our government right now? Um, and I don't think it is, but uh, more research. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Walker. Yes, to uh, dovetail on what Mr. Credo said, the one thing missing from his vision is the connectivity with the rest of the city, and that's where my passion comes in with the Rochester Riverwalk to connect the, the northern end to the fairgrounds so everything's connected and you have free flow of people and utilize that property in the way Chuck described would be perfect. I always thought that would be a good place for like a Meadowbrooks for 
concerts and whatnot, and they could still have the fair there too. We can use that property more than just once or twice a year. So I really do uh, like his vision, and I'd like to add on with the rest of it. Thank you, Mr. Walker. Mr. Grassi. Yes, sir. Um, thank you. I, I look at the Rochester Fair and, and look at there are some unique historical structures on that property right now, and I would hate to see those lost. And I think there's funds available from the federal government and the state government as well that we go in and refurbish and, and basically revitalize those structures that are there. And I think when you get them, when you get some money put into those buildings there, working with the Fair Association, and maybe even with some private funds coming into it as well, that you can turn this into a year-round community where there could be artists, there could be uh, scholars, Sculptures, there could be different type of, of activities going on those buildings in a year-round situation. That little strip that you come into when you first enter the fair should be something, should be a community unto itself. There could be apartments there upstairs over some of the, pla some of the places, but to utilize that for business activities as well. Uh, could be very advantageous for the city of Rochester and to help sustain that fair. This is a short-term thing. This isn't long-term. I mean, Mr. Credo's plan for long-term is great. But I think we need to look at what, the, what are the short-term goals that we can, we can achieve. Mr. Guptill. Thank you. I think a lot of these ideas about what to do with the fairgrounds are great ideas, but if I'm correct, I want to speak directly to the question, which is what's the role of council in that? And I would suggest that the role of the city council in that would be to suggest and monitor. What I mean by that is, I think coming up with the ideas is great. The more immediate question I would have as far as a council member is, why is it not being used now? No, nobody, and I think I forget who mentioned it earlier, I think maybe Mr. Sullivan mentioned, no one, or, or maybe Mr. Fitz, no one's building or constructing something to not make money. This giant piece of land sitting there not doing anything, I think the question's why. Why is the fair smaller every year? Why is it a fight to get people to go even when we're giving tickets away? Why don't people want to go to events when they're held there? I would say the role of council is maybe to look at that and make suggestions and then monitor those suggestions and see what we can do. I don't know that it would necessarily be our role to decide what's done there as much as it is to say, hey, let's figure out why what we're doing now isn't working. Let's find out how we can make better use of that facility. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right, that was great. We covered the fair and the river walk. Very nice, very nice. <laughs> Ward four is complete. We've let's, got a lot to go, TJ. Yeah, oh, I know we have a lot to go. Uh, let's, uh, let's go down the lane of Mr. Fitz here and talk about spending and controlling spending. Obviously, Rochester has a tax cap, and it's something that I think has been adhered to by and large by the councils for several years. Do you support the tax cap, and are there any opportunities that you would override it? So I'll start with you, Mr. Fitz, and then we'll work around the room. I sure do uh, support the tax cap, right? That goes along with everything I've, I've said about taxes. Um, so uh, exceeding it is the question, right? Yeah, I, I don't see that being necessary, um, especially if, if we're not there yet. Um, you know, I, I would want to review the spending, um, ensure that, you know, any, any project that comes along, right, that might impact the tax rate. Do we really need to do it? Is there a cheaper way to get it done? Is there something that we might do today to uh, prolong that, you know, when a, a period of inflation and, and labor costs are high and materials are high? So, you know, is it prudent to take on some of these projects right now, or is there some way to get that down the road a few years, um, and let's hope things are better, right? Uh, so that's how I would approach that. Thank you. Mr. Sullivan. Uh, yep. Strong proponent of the tax cap. Um, I think 
that trying to keep our taxes low and at the same level is very important. It's important to me. It's probably important to most residents of Rochester. Um, is there a need to exceed it? I believe that was the question, Mr. Yes. Jean. Yes. Um, I think that if, uh, as a city, we're proactive about maintaining our infrastructure, keeping up with the changes, you know, growing the police department slowly as it needs to, the fire department, et cetera, our, all of our services, um, the new school uh, is an instance where we have more room for growth. I think there's more to be done with schools. Um, but I think things like that are what's going to keep us from having to, to the need to exceed that tax cap. But we need to be proactive, not reactive, right, and prepare for our growth. Thank you. Mr. Credo. I think a tax cap is a great thing for a number of reasons because it shows us where we don't want to go over. We do not want to be the city that starts spending and spending and spending, and the next thing you know, we become more in debt. Right now, there's over 230 different cities in New Hampshire. And if you look at where Rochester is compared to every other, not just city, but town, we are well above average, and that's great. We've also made a nice little dent in that tax cap. We've gone down, I think, about four or $5,000 just in the last few years, meaning we're moving away from that high end. I think we need to continue to do that. We need to keep an eye on our spending, and we need to make sure, I mean, anybody can give you the, the easy answer, which is I'm not going to raise taxes. We shouldn't raise taxes. We should keep that tax cap as best as we can, as low as we can, and reduce every year if possible. We have to keep in mind that inflation is something that we're always fighting. Thank you. Mr. Grassi. Sure. We have a tax cap in Rochester. This is something we all have to work with. And I think that one of the things that we did this last year, when I was sent to Concord, one of the first things I did is I was put on the Finance Committee, and one of the first things I did is reached out to other communities throughout the state, friends of mine that were in the legislature, and, brought, and was able to get $3.2 million to come back here to the city of Rochester. A current member of our city council who also serves in the New Hampshire Senate turned around and cut $2 million from that, from that funding and gave it to communities like Dover and Concord. Rochester lost $2 million. I was talking to the mayor just a week ago, and if we had gotten that additional $2 million, we would have had a zero tax increase this year. That's something you've got to take a look at is where, how do we raise taxes? If we can't build our industrial and commercial base, how can we raise taxes so it doesn't go on to the local taxpayers? The city council should have spoken out and they should have spoken out loudly and informed our legislative delegation. If I'm sitting here on the council, I will take that message to the legislature as well and say that you've got to look at communities like Rochester who struggle. We pay a lot, but we struggle. Thank you. Mr. Walker. We've had a tax cap now for many, many, many years, and we've only overridden it once. Overriding a tax cap is a serious thing that should only be done in dire circumstances. Uh, the city council over the last 10, 15 years has done a pretty good job maintaining our finances on an affordable basis. One thing that has grown over the years is the uh, undesignated fund balance. And when I left the city council a couple of years ago, it was at 28 million, and the auditors always said 12, between 12 and 18 million is healthy. So we're well over that. Now we're up to 38. I don't know how it got to that. I'd like to look into that a little bit. But you can take some of that non-designated fund balance and spend it on capital items only so it doesn't reach the budget so we can lower the tax rate even more with that, using it again for capital items only. So. Thank you. Mr. Guptel. Thank you. Uh, as far as one of the things I've talked about in my campaign, one of those big things is transparency. And the transparency I would offer is I don't believe that I have the depth of knowledge that Mr. Grassi or Mr. Walker has to speak as passionately about this question as they did. 
So I will talk as a resident who is knowing what I know. To me, when you have a tax cap, in some, to some degree, it's a form of a promise. It's a, it's a limit, it's a thing that we won't do or go over or exceed. I know just as a person, when you break promises to people, they don't love that. Uh, so I would look at this as one of those things where the transparency comes into play as far as us as a council and us as a city. I think that people in the city want it to be better. I think that they want it to do well. I think they want to see it succeed. If we need to exceed that and we can justify it and speak about it, I don't think it becomes the go-to, but I think it becomes the best way to handle a bad situation. Perfect. Thank you, Mr. Guptill. Sure. Mr. Pratt, the question to you would be, what would you like to do on the city council to improve Rochester, to make it a better place? More ramps for disabled people. Perfect. That's an idea. That's a very to good carry one. Out. Yep. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Next question. Let's move a little bit from the tax cap to economic development. I think we all know that waste management is a significant player here in the city of Rochester as it relates to the revenue that is generated from the turnkey landfill. We also know as a community uh, for the last several decades that the time of the turnkey landfill is limited. With that in mind, what would you like to see the city do to invest in economic development to offset the day, the inevitable day, that we can no longer rely on the uh, tax revenue coming from turnkey at the level that it is now? And I'll start with you, Mr. Guptill. Thank you. Well, I think that it's, it's a problem that's, the, the good thing about it is, is that it's a definite. It's something that's going to happen and going to have to be dealt with. Again, I would kind of refer back to what I said about the fairgrounds. I think that the role of council in that uh, as far as assisting the city is to be creative, to look for different ways that we can make up some of that. I don't think it's going to be done in one fell swoop. You're talking about a very large chunk of revenue that's going to need to be replaced. I don't know other than just a entity for entity swap, we're able to do that in one fell swoop. So I think the bigger question becomes how do we kind of bit piece that to find ways to make up that revenue while still being able to kind of maintain the integrity of the city and not do anything that's going to kind of be a cash grab but compromise the integrity of the city as we grow. Thank you, Mr. Guptill. Thank you. Mr. Walker. I think the city is already working on that. I, when I was on the council last couple of years ago, our economic development was in high gear trying to bring in businesses into the, into the city like Sig Sauer, like Saffron when you were mayor. And I think the city is working on that by developing the ridge and getting the, the commercial base large enough so it does not affect you as much when the eventuality of waste management closing. Thank you. Mr. Grassi. Yes, I, I think, you know, certainly David and I were here both at the same time. We worked on a lot of this stuff, but I go back even further when the Economic Development Fund first started, and I was the one that promoted that with the basic idea of what happens when waste management ends. And I think we put money away so that we can, we can anticipate uh, when waste management is closed. And as David has said as well, that we're using this to expand our tax base, and that's what we do, both industrial and commercial. And as long as we can invest that tax base, we can expand that tax base by utilizing this fund. And everybody says that economic development fund is now the fund balance. And we have an extra, we have more money than what the accountants say we really need there. Uh, but that money can be used for investment. 
invest in the community and be able to attract firms like Saffron and SIG, uh, bringing them into the community to provide jobs, provide an expanded tax base, and that as long as we can remove that burden from the homeowners and put it on the commercial industrial properties, we're more successful. And that's what that fund was for, to help us do that. Thank you. Mr. Credo. Yeah, so I took a tour of the turnkey facility this summer with City Council. It was really fascinating. Um, I didn't realize that we had a contract with turnkey that went for so many years. And then after that, uh, they have to monitor this facility up until 30 years after they close it. So we still got roughly another 10 or less years until that is closed. And once that happens, the cost that it incurs for garbage essentially is going to be put on all of us as taxpayers, meaning we get almost zero cost right now to get all of your trash and everything picked up. Once that's gone in the next eight to seven years, what we're going to see is we're going to see an increase in everybody's taxes that could be upwards of $200. I mean, it's going to be a lot of money. So what you just heard both Mr. Grassi and Mr. Walker talk about is true. We have some money that is being put in there. If we accrue interest on that money, it will offset the cost of all of us in those taxes. My hope is, is that's done right and that we won't see that increase happen if we have enough time to work for it. Thank you, Mr. Credo. <clears throat> Mr. Fitz. I agree that it looks like the solution is to build our base elsewhere. Um, another thing that we may you know, investigate is, is use of that site. Once it's no longer um, a landfill, uh, maybe it's a great solar site or something like that where we can um, create revenue there. Um, I'd like to always take a look at projects with that kind of uh, scope, right? We, we don't want to eat up uh, Rochester's natural resources and beauty um, throughout the city. Um, so how do we preserve that and, and move forward with issues like this that are very real? Thank you. All right, Mr. Sullivan. Um, thank you. Yep, I like that solar idea. That's a good idea. They're already using uh, some of the gases to power uh, over UNH. Uh, I think, like I said, I've also had the privilege, if you want to call it that, to tour Turnkey in multiple times. Um, it's a huge facility, but it's a good thing that it's a known uh, end date. Like, we know when this is going to run out. We've already had to extend it. Um, I think we need to prepare for that. Like Mr. Walker said, we're working towards that. I mean, our business growth on Granite Ridge is phenomenal. There's also more phases to be built out. That's more tax base. Um, the Sig Sauer plant, too, I was out this uh, weekend knocking doors, and uh, I heard from somebody who wants to really work at that Sig Sauer plant. You know, I think that kind of growth in our community is important. And just like I said for infrastructure, if we're proactive and we keep working, we know this is coming, let's get that tax base up. Let's invite business. Let's make it a desirable place to be. Perfect. Thank you. Mr. Pratt question for you would be how would you make the city of Rochester more disability friendly? I was gonna continue with the other conversation. Sure. About waste. Perfect. Go for it. I've worked there a few times for the staffing agency in Dover. The pay was worth it even though the day was long. Eight-hour shift. Mm. It was worth it. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. All right. 
Here we go. Next question. We're coming down to the end here. Probably have uh, about one more question left in us. And this is an interesting one. We all know that there is a proposed casino coming to the city of Rochester at the Lilac Mall. This should come as no surprise to any of you. Um, with that, what are your thoughts on a casino in the city of Rochester? And specifically, too, there is a question on the ballot that is in regards to allowing a sports book at that casino. What are your thoughts on that question as well? So thoughts on a casino in Rochester and the sports book question. And we'll start with Mr. Fitz. Thank you. I love casinos. No. Um, so I, th <laughs> I think that a casino is a great addition to the city. Um, you know, I, I hate to point at other cities, but Dover, you know, has a nice facility. I think it works well. Um, and so to have some place for us to, to borrow from is, is really nice, right? We, we can see how this works. Um, I think ours will, you know, generate a lot of good jobs for the city. Um, I love, you know, everybody loves the uh, charitable aspect of it, which is great. Um, we heard testimony from a bunch of local organizations um, that, that it's a good thing for them, so I'm excited for that. Uh, sports book, I don't know too much about it. Um, you know, I've been to a few casinos with sports books. I don't, I don't see it as a big detriment to our community that we, that we have that uh, in a building, in a shopping mall. I don't see that as a problem. Perfect. Thank you. Mr. Sullivan. Um, yep, so uh, casino, I think it's gonna be a, a great thing for Rochester. Um, I think it's not for everybody. But I am familiar with a sports book, um, and I do like to do that. Uh, I think that it's a great source of, it's going to go to education, correct? Um, it's a great source of funds for that. I think that they just have to do it responsibly. And uh, I'm not educated enough to know. I know there's a lot of talk about when you build a casino, it brings in uh, crime. And I think that might be a little overstated. Um, I'm not as familiar with that to give you the exact numbers. Somebody else might have that. But I, I think it's going to be a good thing for Rochester. Um, as long as they do it responsibly, don't encroach on Heath Bog right next door. Um, that's the kind of thing that on the Conservation Commission we look at. But I, th I think it can make money for the city um, and provide some, some recreation. I like to see a little more family recreation in Rochester than we have right now. But adult recreation is good, too. Thank you. Mr. Credo. Gambling Casino is a destination uh, spot. It's going to bring in people that have never been to Rochester, so that's number one. Number two, my senior thesis, I think I already talked about this in college, was property crime and its given counties, and I compared two different counties, two different countries. I looked at all the data. I looked at NCJRSs, and it was interesting because when you have something that brings in population growth, everything from, from births of new children to deteriorating roads, this is what's going to happen. So we need to be prepared for the population growth as it encounters in Rochester. This is not a higher, uh, higher property crime issue. It's a population growth issue. So keeping that in mind. In terms of the sports booking, a lot of people don't realize there's only 10 spots that New Hampshire is allowed to have for sports booking. Okay, We've already got six taken, which means we only have four other cities that are allowed to have this right now. If we're not the next one to do this, it's going to be somebody else, and it might be somebody next to us. Thank you very much. Mr. Grassi. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things you have to take a look at first is that the building that they're going into down there has been something, a building that's been terribly underutilized for a number of years now, and it's good to see that somebody's going into it. 
Uh, back a number of years ago, Rochester voted about gambling in the city of Rochester, and it was a tie. <laughs> so, you know, we didn't approve it. State law has since changed. And now what you're looking at is you're looking at the charitable gambling that is going on there right now and, and that will be allowed there under this casino. And so it, it's a different type of animal than a true casino is. Uh, and if you're having sports book in there, I think I don't see a problem uh, with the sports book because right now people can gamble on their, their laptops. And what this will do is just give another, another item to make them more successful. And I would rather see them successful helping out the charities in the, in the city of Rochester than being unsuccessful and leaving a building right now which is substantially underutilized, vacant. Mr. Walker. Yes, uh, I gotta admit, I was a little apprehens apprehensive when this came before the planning board about allowing this and all the other things that they, they say come with, with sports uh, gambling casinos and whatnot, but it got passed, and I think the money they put into this and the uh, security that's going to be in this, I think it's going to be a, a very good project for the city. I think it's going to be a boon for all our charitable organizations. We had them lined up into the, uh, the hallway on the supporting this thing. Uh, as far as sports book goes, I think you have the casino. You might as well allow the sports book in there, too. It's just another avenue for a different type of clientele that comes in. It's going to draw more people in. Perfect. Thank you. Mr. Guptel. Thank you. We've talked a lot tonight about what's going to happen with the city, how we can make up revenue here, how we can get up there. I am pro-business and pro-success. I think that with the casino and the sports book, that's a potential to accomplish both. If it's done ethically, I don't have an issue with either one. I think Mr. Grassi made a great point. Sports book is not new to Rochester, it just doesn't have a building. Anyone with a high-speed internet connection can basically do that. Why not make good on some of that revenue? I think the idea that you know, Milton Road is gonna turn into the Vegas Strip is, is probably a little overshot. I don't see that as happening. <laughs> it's, it's, it's true, and I, but that's some of the real fear that's been expressed out there, that's express, expressed online. You see things like, well, it's gonna bring in this, 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 and then go over to Dover and look at that casino. It's not exactly a hop in place. You know, go watch people play Keno. It's not exactly, you know, the debauchery that you would expect. It's a bunch of people sitting around picking numbers. Obviously, when you talk about gambling, there's a danger to that, but gambling's already happening. Having it where you can see it and control it and it can make us some money, I'm all for that. Perfect. Thank you, Mr. Guptel. Mm -hmm. All right, we're coming down to the wire. So we'll transition a little bit to a speed round. Do we have a 30-second timer on there, Ms. Stanley? <laughs> Perfect. Ooh. So these are the fun ones. So these are questions that are light and is an opportunity for the public listening to get to know you a little bit better. So we'll start with this. First question to all of you, 30 seconds to answer, and probably won't even take you that long. What is your favorite attribute about the city of Rochester? We'll start with Mr. Sullivan. I like, I'm biased, but since I work in the Fishing Game Department and the Conservation Commission, I like that the city of Rochester seeks to conserve green spaces even with all the growth. Perfect. Mr. Pratt, best attribute about the city of Rochester, favorite thing? Collectiques. Ooh, that is a great store. Good answer. Very good answer. Mr. Credo. I'm going to go with resiliency. I'm going to tell you why, because I grew up here and I've seen the shoe shops all close. I have seen the people have a harder and harder time getting by. And now I'm seeing the exact opposite of that. When I went out campaigning, I would ask people, what's the one thing you want to see different in Rochester? And nine out of 10 people didn't give me that answer. In fact, what they said is, we see Rochester changing for the better. 
And that's because of the resiliency of our people. And let's keep it going. Mr. Fitz. Uh, proximity and amenities. I think Rochester has a great balance of, um, you know, things here, things nearby. It's a great place to live because you can get a lot done locally. You don't have to drive, you know, half an hour to go shopping and stuff like that. So I think it's a great place to, to live and work and play. Perfect. Mr. Walker. The people generally and in the city of Rochester is the best kept secret in the state of New Hampshire. And I want to see this city flourish and do even better. Perfect. Mr. Grassi. I have to agree with Dave. I think it's the people. I think what we have here in our community and what I've seen here is the volunteers, the volunteers' efforts. I mean, when I worked at Roger Allen, there were people that just were coming out of the woodwork to work with us. Even if you didn't have a kid on the team, you were there sometimes helping out. When I worked with the PTO's parents working in the schools, I spent 10 years working as a special ed power in our school district. The parents working in the school, you know, the people in downtown working at Rise Up Rochester that became the people at now Main Street, uh, you know, they just do so much. I mean, look at our opera house. It's volunteer efforts that have done this. And we've done more than most communities have with far little. Mr. Gupto. Thank you. The best thing about this city is our character. You have seven individuals up here who I'm sure probably disagree on a lot of points, but the one thing you've heard consistently is how we want to make things better and how we want to make this city better. Rochester is still a city populated by people who are from Rochester. Some of these other cities that I mentioned this evening, you don't get that anymore. There are people who are not from there anymore. It takes away the character of the city. The best thing about this city is we still have people here who are from here and care about staying here. Perfect. Thank you very much. All right, that brings us right to 8 o'clock. We could do one more question of who is your favorite mayor, but we'll hold off on that one. <laughs> um, That's a loaded question it, it with this room. It could be a very loaded question for we, this We don't room. want to disappoint you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, Chuck. I appreciate it. Um, all right, with that, we'll uh, stop right here on the City Council candidates form. I want to thank each and every one of you for participating. Thank I think you. the dialogue has been wonderful and has certainly given the voters of the city a great insight into how you would lead if you were elected to the City Council. I wish each and every one of you the best of luck on November 7th and uh, want to encourage everybody at home to get out and vote on Tuesday, November 7th for City Council. So with that, we will take a 10-minute pause here. We'll change the room around, and we will come back live with our mayoral debate. So please uh, stay tuned and come back. All right, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Greater Rochester Chamber of Commerce Candidates Forum. I am pleased to present to you the mayoral candidates for the upcoming November 11th mayoral election here in the city of Rochester. We have Ms. Susan Rice joining us, as well as incumbent Mayor Paul Callahan. Welcome to both of you. Uh, for those of you who have just joined us, my name is TJ Jean from Portsmouth Regional Hospital. I'll be serving as the moderator for today's uh, Candidates Forum. We'd like to thank everybody for joining us, and we'd like to thank BreezeLine uh, and Comcast for replaying this mayoral forum leading up to the November 7th general election here in the city of Rochester. The candidates for mayor will make their remarks uh, in the order that was agreed upon by the candidates. So Ms. Rice will begin with her two-minute statement, followed by uh, Mayor Callahan. After that, we'll go into a question and answer period. This is a candidate's forum. It's not a debate against each other. So both candidates will be asked a question. We'll be able to answer that question, and then we'll move on. So without further ado, I will start with Ms. Rice with her two minutes. You may begin. Good evening. Hello. I am Susan Rice, Ward 5, a resident of 12 years. 
I have held elected and appointed offices and worked as a public employee for over 25 years. I am a downtown business owner and volunteer with Main Street. I attend council meetings, workshops, public hearings, and other meetings. Rochester is diverse and it is strong, vibrant, and enthusiastic. My strategic goals are based on being transparent with a strong vision, bold leadership, true accountability, active listening, and community unity. The core of my campaign is the vision of our city. Housing, public services, particularly water and sewer, are a top priority, along with a stabilized tax rate, tax cap compliance, homelessness, and drug addiction. Community connectivity, future economic development, valuing our treasured neighborhoods along with our neighborhood advocacy are essential in building a thriving city. To move positively forward, all must have a seat at the table. Rochester is a global community and it is a destination. Government does not follow the tactics of instantaneous change. Rules, regulations, and ordinances are the so-called necessary evils. But that does not mean you cannot bring about change or express your ideas. I will encourage everyone to participate. This is our city and our voice needs to be heard. I look forward to this forum and hope you get to know me just a little bit better. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next we'll hear from Paul Callahan. Thank you. My commitment to Rochester runs deeper than politics. For years I've coached and mentored youth fought to keep our neighborhood safe as a police officer and now as a prosecutor. I worked to improve our downtown as chairman of Rochester Main Street. Born and raised in Rochester, I have a clear and vested interest in Rochester's future. As mayor, I have a record of achieving results. During my time as mayor, Rochester has seen millions of dollars of private investments in our downtown. We've seen the opening of new businesses, including LDI, LDI Solutions, Pella Windows, in Sig Sauer, in PrEP Partners. Violent crime and property crimes are down over 40% since 2018. I led the charge for making significant cuts to the last two municipal budgets, which has resulted in seven, being $7.3 million under the tax cap. We've allocated federal money for construction of an outlook pier along the Kachiko River with the aim of enhancing enjoyment of our downtown. I've developed collaborative working relationships with our regional, state, and federal partners, resulting in funding for the widening of Route 11 moved up three years to the spring of 2025. I've advocated for the placement of a portion of unassigned fund balance be placed in the secured CD at a high rate, which result is an additional $1 million that has reduced our taxes. I successfully convened a special committee to to, uh, on reducing the tax burden on our elderly and our veterans. The city paid off municipal bonds to reduce high interest payments, resulting in cost savings over more than half a million dollars. We've accomplished a lot, but there's still more to be done. I look forward to continuing to produce solid and positive results. Working together, we'll make Rochester a greater place to live, work, and raise a family. Thank you very much, Mr. Callahan. 
All right, that concludes our opening remarks. We'll now go into the question portion. After each question, each candidate will have an opportunity to respond for one minute and we'll alternate uh, who begins. So we'll start with this question that came from a member of the public and is very consistent with what we heard from the city council forum and it deals with homelessness. And the question reads, what actions will you take to help the unhoused population of Rochester? Please be specific around issues of sanitation, permanent affordable housing, substance misuse, temporary shelter, and working with social service agencies. And I can repeat that after the first answers. I'll start with you, Ms. Rice. Homelessness and drug issues. This is a national, not only a regional or a state issue. I have talked with a lot of people regarding this is not only here, but in my travels. A common thread is emerging. People are not opposed to giving a hand up to those in need so long as they are making efforts in a positive, holistic change. However, I am struck by the comments of the people struggling to aid those who are not attempting um, any efforts to make changes. I have done a little bit of research and in the October 2023 report that just came out from the CBG um, committee report, it was noted that one of the facilities has um, stopped taking homeless on an emergency basis. That is very concerning to me. I have also talked with other people within the community who say that they would like to have, sorry. No, it's okay. okay. It goes by very quick. Yep. <laughs> all right, Mr. Callahan. Okay. First of all, what have we done to address the homeless? Uh, we have a Tri-City Coalition that uh, mayors get together on. We've uh, consistently have opened a will and center to deal with the, uh, the uh, winter, harsh winter conditions. We've uh, uh, seriously have really stepped up our game of working with the sober, the sober housing units that are in Rochester. And just to name a few, uh, we have Positive Transitions. We have Hope on Haven Hill. And we have the, um, and for housing, we have the, uh, the, uh, the uh, house in Banal, used to be called the Stratford County Homeless Shelter. Uh, a big issue with dealing with affordable housing is fixed rate. And uh, what we have done and we've encouraged to deal with, we have the Gaffney home, that's right down the street here, beautiful two acres. That's gonna be about 21 to 25 units, fixed income 800 for 55 and older. And on the, um, in a Catholic, not Catholic charities, but um, can, I, can I finish this? Finish that sentence, yeah. then we're, we're good. The, uh, there's a, I can't even think of the name of it right now, but up top of uh, Rochester Hill Road, there's a facility that's gonna open up with 61 units. Yeah. Perfect, thank you, Mr. Callahan. Easter seals. <laughs> there you go, he, he got it in there. We, we didn't have to ring the bell, but it was close, it was close. All right, along the lines of homelessness and substance abuse is obviously mental health and the need for access to mental health. How do you see the city's role in helping to facilitate uh, mental health services to the community and expanding that? Start so with I, you, Mr. I, Callahan. I, that's a good question. Through our welfare department, we, we have a community outreach facilitator that works closely with the police. And what that role is, is to try to reach the people that are slipping through the cracks 
that have drug addiction and mental health issues and tie them up with the services and work closely with all these social services agencies that are working in, in Rochester. Perfect. Thank you. Ms. Rice. Hello. Um, I have had um, a visit paid by Erin um, to my business, um, and she has asked me several questions with regard to the homeless and mental health, and um, I have given her some feedback um, as to what I see and that the community needs to reach out to these people and to get them engaged so that they know that they need the help. You can't force somebody um, for treatment or the help um, that you think that they need, they have to want to do this on their own. And as a downtown business owner, occasionally I do have some of these people who walk into my shop. And just being polite and nice um, and being able to offer them a business card um, is, is one way that I can contribute to this. Thank you. All right, we'll pivot our question a little bit and focus on downtown revitalization. Uh, as we know, there's a lot of development going on downtown, Scenic Salinger, the new Hoffman building, and we're gonna be getting more residential growth. But the, my question is this around the Rochester Opera House. The Rochester Opera House has been a consistent anchor within the city of Rochester for the performing arts. Do you support continued city funding of the Opera House and the investment that has been made over the years to continue into the future to help supply arts and entertainment in downtown. I'll start with you, Ms. Rice. I have been a supporter of the Rochester Opera House. Um, and I also know that there is um, a rental agreement between the city and the Opera House or, or our PAC. And I have been told that it is not being followed. Um, and I think that there needs to be um, a, a meeting with them and we, that we sit down and we figure out what, what they can contribute and what we can contribute. I don't think that it should be totally on the taxpayers. Perfect. Thank you. Mr. Callahan. We have a thriving art culture in our downtown. It actually is a destination. The Opera House is definitely a, des a destination. And uh, we did a study, it was probably about six or seven years ago, the show that it was over a million dollars a year in revenue that's coming into the city through arts and culture. So we need to keep that up. Uh, the Opera House is expanding, and I'll let you know that I have met with the uh, chair of the few months ago of the Opera House, and we've just had a scheduling issue, but he is going to come in front of the uh, council during one of our workshops soon. Perfect. Thank you. All right, next let's talk a little bit about the mayor's role on the city council as a leader both in the community but also on the council. What would you describe your leadership style as as it relates to coalescing a group of 12 councilors in addition to the mayor uh, in driving the agenda that you desire for the city? I, I call it uh, leadership, managing by walking around. Uh, that's, that's just my personality. I like talking to people, asking where they stand on issues and uh, addressing them. We all have different opinions. And what I've tried to do as mayor is try to find a strength that each councilor had and put them in a position where you know, they could succeed. And there's been plenty of examples where I've, uh, I've seen that happen. Thank you. Ms. Rice. Could you repeat the question, sure. please? So as mayor, you are a leader both within the community but also on the city council. 
Could you tell us a little, about, a little bit about your leadership style and how you would help coalesce the council towards your agenda for the city in the next two years? Okay. I think that we're very well aware that we're gonna have a major change um, with several new city councilors coming on board. My first thing would be to get to know each and every one of them, find out their strengths, their weaknesses, um, what their interests are, where they would like to serve on committees, and, and, and match up so that they feel like they have um, a very important role and that their voice is just as powerful as what my voice would be. Perfect, thank you very much. All right, let's pivot a little bit to fiscal policy. And on fiscal policy, we talked about this during the council uh, forum earlier. Uh, we have a tax cap in the city of Rochester. It has been adhered to by and large uh, since its inception. What is your view on the tax cap in terms of would you ever override the tax cap if necessary? I fully support the tax cap and it would have to be something totally unusual for me to ever support overriding that. The taxpayers overwhelmingly voted that in several years ago and it should remain. Thank you. Mr. Callahan. Yeah, I support the tax cap, tax cap too. And I was interested uh, two years ago when I walk in the neighborhoods, a lot of people said, you know, watch it at council meetings. A lot of times they'll get to the end of the budget cycle and say, how much is, are we under the tax cap? We'll say half a million dollars. Say, okay, then we can throw something else in. They said, can we go under the tax cap? So my first year as mayor, I, actually, I did lead the charge in the cuts that put our budget $2.1 million under the tax cap. And this year, the unaudited is between 5.3 and 5.5 million under the tax cap this year. Thank you. It's another topic that we discussed earlier during the council debate, and that has to do with casino gambling. As you know, we have a new casino that has been approved to enter uh, in the Lilac Mall. And the question to you is, do you support the casino coming in, and do you support the expansion of sportsbook gambling here in the city of Rochester? It's, it's interesting. I had an open mind. I was come from a law enforcement background, so I wasn't sure. So I reached out to our executive council and said, hey, let's bring down the person at the state that's in charge of this. So we had, actually had him come down in a meeting and he explained all the regulations that answered my concerns. And he told us the, um, his dealings with this gambling facility that's gonna come over into Rochester, how good they've been in the uh, state of Pennsylvania. Now our lottery, I'll call him lottery director, maybe chair of the lottery. He's a former federal prosecutor that oversaw white collar crime and organized crime. So he knew what he was talking about. So I, I was totally convinced and it was neat. When we had the meeting, he said, wow, of all the many years I've been here, the first time a community invited me in to get my point. So I, it, it eased me to see the regulations coming down from the state, what they were. Ms. Rice. I've traveled quite extensively throughout the United States and I have visited a lot of casinos. I have visited casinos that have been in blighted areas such as ours, returned back two or three years later to a totally different neighborhood that is thriving with both residential and other retail establishments. I do not have a problem with having a casino here in Rochester. If you choose to participate in sports book betting, that's your choice. I have my own personal feelings with regards to that, um, but I will never prohibit somebody from 
choosing to do any of that type of activity. Um, and I think that it just brings another component here to Rochester to make it a destination and to make us a more well-rounded community. Thank you. All right, our next question comes from a member of the public and it reads, there's been numerous complaints this past summer about dramatically increased odors from turnkey landfill. This not only affects people's quality of life, but also affects their property values and possibly their health. What will you do to ensure turnkey meets their obligation to control odors? Okay, um, waste management just received a new permit for another 60 acres. And it's my understanding that they're also going to be able to spread or compost sludge out there. Um, within the e-code of the city of Rochester, I believe it's section 38, there is a whole series of provisions by which you can go to the code enforcement and they have the ability to investigate this and they also have the ability to do testing at waste management's expense. I would also, if I were the mayor and I was receiving these complaints, I would be in contact with our city manager to see what we could do. I would be on the phone with EPA and I would be on the phone with the New Hampshire DES Air Pollution Control Division. Thank you. Mr. Callan. The, uh, we did get a lot of complaints this summer about the smells. So I did reach out to the city manager and I said, let's bring in uh, waste management to a city workshop to discuss it. There was a lot of reasons why, it's, why the uh, smell has increased. And he explained part of it is due to the significant amount of rainfall. We've had four feet of rain since January through September. What that did is it clogged the pipes and released some methane gas. But they, you know, we're ensuring that their test pits are being tested. The EPA, we, we deal with the DES and we deal with the EPA to ensure that those uh, smells are being addressed. And it's still an ongoing issue and we're not gonna let it go to until the issue is resolved. They've already spent almost $4 million trying to fix it. Thank you very much. Next question, re relatively easy question. What is your top priority if you're elected or reelected? Number one priority. My number one priority is being fiscally conservative with our budget. Perfect. Thank you. Ms. Rice? My top priority, obviously, would be fiscal conservancy. Um, I am. I have an issue with a $38 million unassigned fund balance. We have spent millions of dollars in supplemental appropriations. Um, Mr. Callahan likes us to believe that he's done all of this great work on our budget when our um, in his first year as mayor, the tax rate rose by 62 cents per thousand, and this year it's 82 cents, and his initial budget this year would have raised our taxes by $1.85. Over two years in his administration, our tax rate has gone up $1.44. When you come in and you don't, you automatically choose to reduce capital improvements and not look at your budget and not take out of both of those I think is not fair to the taxpayers. I gotta to respond to that. All right, so 
we'll stay, the next question will be along lines of the budget and we'll let you go first, Mr. Callahan. So in terms of the budget, if you wanna go ahead and respond to the crafting of it and the, right, the rates. Sure. In this current budget, we used $5.8 million of the unassigned fund balance. And if you look at our sheet of the unassigned fund balance, what we budgeted, we were 37,000 in the red. That means we didn't increase your taxes and it went into the uh, increase the unassigned fund balance on, on the municipal side. What it did do was the, uh, on the school side, there were so many, there was three things. They had so many open positions that that contributed this salary line contributed to the increase. They had money that came back from federal funds and they had money that, I don't know what kind of grant money it was, but it was transportation costs. That's where the $8 million came from. If they had all the positions filled and they used the, the grants up to speed, then um, you know, we would have had zero increase in the unassigned fund balance. The unassigned fund balance stabilizes our tax rate. All right, so let's rebase and level set on, on this particular question. And I think the point of where the unassigned fund balance is right now is a great question that we can ask because I think right now the unaudited numbers are about 38 million from what I'm told. So is that a sign that the city is taxing the taxpayers too much to have this level of funding or do you think there's a better use of that fund balance for capital infrastructure or other items? What would be your thoughts? Well, DRA recommends um, on the high side of about $18 million and we have $38 million. Um, that's $20 million. That's an awful lot of money. Um, and one thing that I would take a look at is our capital improvements program, maybe putting some away for that. Um, but I think that that money is, um, it deserves to go back to the taxpayers proportionately to what your assessed valuation is of your property and what you're paying. Thank you. Mr. Callahan. The unassigned fund balance is not a, a cash fund like you think it is. It's assets versus liabilities. Our unassigned fund balance is at around $38 million. And the recommendations that the Finance Committee has met is gonna bring that percentage down to just over, just under 21%, around 20%. It'd be $8 million, 7.5 million that'll go to the school, uh, the new school that's gonna reduce bonding and save us $3 million. We're going to use other money for a capital improvement reserve funds. We know we're gonna need fire trucks, we know we need big equipment and public works, and we know we need major repairs in our buildings. You can use the unassigned fund balance by putting in capital reserve funds for those specific reasons, use them in three to five years. And you put them in interest-bearing accounts, they collect more interest. So we showed when we talked about this last year, you could see after eight years where it almost paid for a new fire truck, putting it in these capital improvement plans. If, and one quick thing, if you use all the money in the capital reserve, uh, the unassigned fund balance, it's gonna destroy us. All right, stop there. Let's talk capital items, because that's a great segue here. There has been talk over the years of adding an additional third fire station in the city of Rochester. What are your views on adding that and how would you fund it? And I'll start with you, Ms. Rice. We spent almost $300,000 on a piece of property on Highland Street. 
at the request of an interim fire chief. We do not have a vision statement in our master plan or a land use chapter that is currently up to date. Eventually, yes, we are going to need a third fire station, but was the Highland Street location the absolute best location for that when it is clear that the development on that side of town is happening more along Route 11 and perhaps it should be located in that area? Um, we travel miles. I have driven that corridor as to where the proposed location of that new fire station is, and we go miles where it's just vacant property. Was that the real smart decision for that piece of property to go, and did we need to buy it right then and there? Thank you. Mr. Callahan? I think eventually we're going to need a third fire station. I thought it was... Uh, uh, interesting that that's where they wanted to put it, but they produced the statistics and the evidence-based, uh, the, the, the evidence, you know, it was, it was evidence-based decision-making on why that was the best spot to uh, put, the, put the fire station. And uh, it was, it's very interesting, just one minute of a response call to a fire, the fire doubles. It's really interesting. Thank you, Mrs. Callahan. Our next question is around businesses and specifically how would you involve the business community, the Chamber of Commerce and businesses throughout the greater Rochester area as you're making decisions on the city council? How would you engage them? I'll tell you how I've done it. Uh, my first year, spring and summer of 2022, we met with all the small business and manufacturers. We had, we had it was our economic development working with the Chamber of Commerce to do this. A tremendous turnout. We ended up having to do it uh, in two phases. And we asked them what the issues were and how we could help them. Number one issue, consensus, strong consensus was affordable housing. And number two was childcare. And we just, again, I'd say two or three months ago, we just met with our small businesses, again, through economic development in our uh, chamber to discuss all, all their issues of, of the... Um, the issues that small businesses are going through, and we address your concerns through economic development and the chamber. Thank you. Ms. Rice. Several times a month, I speak with our economic development director, Mr. Scala, and I fill him in on how my business is doing downtown. But as mayor, I would establish um, basically an ad hoc committee of various city council members as well as myself and various members um, within the business community and, and bring them to the table and discuss what their concerns are. I know childcare is one of the issues. Housing is also another issue. Um, and work to figure out solutions to those particular problems. Um, I also have been involved with some of the business women owners on North Main Street um, to help promote our businesses. It's, we're in the infancy stages of that, and where that eventually leads, I don't know, but that just goes to my leadership of what I see in the area that I have my own business in. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right, 
Next question will be a question that's repeated from the council, but would love to get your insight on. Where do you stand on the use of the Rochester Fairgrounds and the city's involvement in facilitating the use and development of that privately owned parcel? First of all, we have to look at the zoning. The city has given those um, stakeholders an awful hard time in getting permits for the various events that they want to have. We were embroiled in a legal battle with them with regard to taxes because somebody decided that they were not a nonprofit. They won. They got their money back. Um, what you don't know is my background is in agriculture. I spent 10 years being the coordinator of the New Hampshire Farm and Forest Expo. My background is agriculture. I ran a 175-acre farm, which I did three farmers markets a week. So I'm very much pro-agriculture and anything that I can do to help those people. I also believe that there's more than agriculture. There's also the Mechanical Association. There's a lot of events, and I think that we just need to tear down these barriers and assist them and bring them to the table for what we can do to help them. Thank you. Mr. Callahan. Sure. Uh, I liked a lot of the ideas, and I've actually some of my ideas, too, of what the, what the fairgrounds could possibly turn into down the road. And I really, I mentioned this two years ago, is I really think of that as a Prescott Park type of destination. We have a lot of activities throughout the years and obviously try to connect it to the uh, Riverwalk. Makes a tremendous amount of, set, of sense to me. The um, zoning for that is, is difficult. It's, it's zoned office commercial. So whenever they want to do an event, they need to uh, come forward to the ZBA. And I get complaints all the time. Let's do a rotary, uh, rodeo there, for example. Well, we just can't give them the permit. They need to come forward and um, apply for it. You know, it takes two. All right, thank you. We are coming up now to the end where we'll be doing our closing remarks. Um, so we will begin that. You will have two minutes for your closing remarks. Again, I just encourage you keep them focused on what you would do for the city of Rochester and your vision and talk about yourself. So we'll start with Ms. Rice. Thank you for the opportunity to address the community in my bid to become your next mayor. As I stated before, the core of my campaign is the vision and the future of our city where all voices are heard at the table. Transparency is a fundamental part of my seeking this elected office along with having a strong forward vision, bold leadership and true accountability. I will take the time to listen to all. Uniting our community for inclusivity is important to me. Leadership comes in many forms, communication is key adapting to circumstances, setting direction, motivating constituents, and making good decisions. I aim to be that catalyst for positive change in our community. I am a doer. I don't sit here and say, in the last two years, I wish. I am just naming a few of the areas where work needs to be accomplished. They include the housing sector, homelessness, public infrastructure, continued economic development, our veterans, public safety, and importantly, the respecting the needs of the taxpayers who voted in the tax cap. I respectfully ask for your consideration on November 7th, and it would be an honor to be selected to be your next mayor of Rochester. In closing, keep the faith, and I promise not to lose the faith of the public if elected. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. Callahan. I want to thank the uh, chamber, all the folks that are here watching in person and on TV. 
and thank the city for putting on this event. I think it's informative for the uh, residents to see uh, where we stand on issues. I've lived in Rochester my entire life. My wife and I have raised three wonderful children in this community. I want to continue to serve as your mayor for two reasons. For the love of our community and to help keep Rochester a great place to live, work, and raise a family. I viewed my service over the past 30 plus years as a way of giving back to my community and moving us forward. Rochester has improved in economic development, downtown redevelopment, and maintaining a strong fiscal position. But there is more to accomplish. As mayor, I will promote growth through economic development, which is key to a strong, vibrant, and financially sound community. I will ensure that Rochester continues to provide high quality services such as police, fire, public works. I support improved education. I will fight to maintain Rochester's strong fiscal position, keeping a lid on taxes while ensuring that our tax dollars are spent wisely. I will continue to bring consistent, open, forthright, and common sense approaches, Mayor. I only answer to you, the citizens of Rochester, and believe me when I say, I only have our best interests in mind. I want to say to all the residents of Rochester, after serving our community for so many years, it's been one of the greatest honors of my life to, kin to, kin to continue to serve you, the people of Rochester, as your mayor. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Callahan. And thank you, Ms. Rice. I want to thank both of you for taking the time to share your views this evening with the voters of Rochester. And I also want to uh, thank all of the candidates that attended this evening, even the city council candidates from both the contested and uncontested races. It was great to hear from all of them as well. As always, we'd like to thank the city of Rochester for the use of the council chambers. We very much appreciate that. I'd like to thank Celeste Playa and her crew at the Rochester Government Channel for taping and broadcasting the forum, and especially Mr. Greg Shaw, who always does a phenomenal job at the controls. I'd like to thank BreezeLine and Comcast for uh, broadcasting this live this evening, as well as replaying it before Election Day. I'd like to thank the Rochester Post, the Rochester Voice, Foster's Daily Democrat, and local media that are providing coverage of this evening's candidates' forum. As always, I'd like to thank the volunteers for their assistance with this evening's forum, especially Ms. Lisa Stanley from Whitway Supply. Thank you for being an excellent timekeeper. It was a tremendous upgrade from prior years, so thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm only saying that because Mr. Matt Bollier from Service Credit Union is sitting in the front row, so he knows I love him dearly. So, but thank you, Lisa. Appreciate your time this evening. I want to thank the chamber staff uh, for all that they do. Laura did a great job. Appreciate that very, very much. And like to thank all of those who submitted um, questions this evening. Uh, and Tanya, Tanya Hervey, I'm sorry. I see Tanya back there. Um, thank you for all that you've done for the chamber as well. Uh, I want to thank everyone that submitted questions. And most importantly, I encourage all of you to get out and vote on Tuesday, November 7th. It's very important. Local elections are the hallmark of our democracy, and we certainly uh, want you to exercise that, that right. So thank you all. I'm TJ Jean. Have a great night.